done, guys. We really appreciate it. Good to be here. Good to see you all. How about we pray for the kids for a moment? Can we do that just before we start together? Father, thank you for the children. Thank you for the holidays that they've had, those of them that are heading to school and kindergarten and university and places like that. We ask for your blessing in their lives. We ask for your blessing on their parents in this church and in other places. And Father, we pray that out of the lives of these young uh, children, you will raise up men and women, women and men who will follow hard after you and uh, give their lives in such a way to you that they will be used in the work of your kingdom. We pray that and everybody said together, Amen, in the name of Jesus. Well, it's good to be here. This is a real privilege for me to share uh, in the Word of God with you this morning. The passage is 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 8, so if you've got your Bibles with you, or your Android Bible, or whatever it is, or your iPhone Bible, you might like to uh, take that out and find the passage. Um, It's a privilege and an honour, actually, to share this word, because when we get it, you'll see that it's actually the word of an older pastor to a younger pastor. So you're looking at old, all right? (laughs) Uh, Younger, well, in some people's eyes, I still am, so that's really great. So, why don't we stand together, we're going to read, I'm going to read from the New International Version, if you have your version, you follow that along, it'll be on the screen for us, and uh, I encourage you to just take this word in. I'm going to be talking about the final charge of Paul to Timothy, the second part, Robin did a great job last week on the first part of this final charge. The Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already poured out like a drink offering And the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. My, you're a good-looking bunch. Just want to tell you before we start, in case I forget. I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus 
I want to ask you a question right up front. Has anybody ever in their lives lined you up, looked you in the eye and said, oh, I won't point. I won't use my hands. But you've been up close, maybe even close in the personal space, and they said, you know what, John, you need to. Has anybody ever done that for you in your life? You don't have to put up your hands. Or has anybody ever written you a letter and in that letter they say, here are some really basic things that you need to sort out in your life. Can I ask one further question before we push into this just a little? Have you got right now, July 21, century 21, Have you got somebody in your life who walks so closely with you that at any time in your life they can walk up to you and say, I want to talk to you about some issues. And you feel the love and the warmth and the grace and the wholeness of that encounter because it's not somebody who's saying, you know, I want to clean you up, but it's somebody saying, I have the deepest and most powerful concerns for your life that you will go on in God and fulfill what God has for you. Have you got somebody like that? Because I'm hoping that if I do nothing else this morning and stir that up in you, you will find somebody you will connect with with whom you have that degree of honesty who will take you the next step in what it means for you to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. Are you with me? So Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus. Here's this aging apostle, so we're told. He's come to the end of his ministry time. He's run his part of the race. And before God, he's done it really well, yes? I mean, Paul, amazing man. Absolutely amazing man. You couldn't... uh, you're just, you're just blown away with who he is. If you read all that he's written, one of the major contributors to the whole of the New Testament scripture, etc., etc., pastor, missionary, theologian, evangelist, we could go on for sake of time, we won't. But he's come to the end of his time and he knows that he's about to be executed for his faith. The Neronian persecutions in Rome were in full swing. Christians were being targeted. Paul's a chief amongst them. They know about Paul. He's a ringleader. He's a leader. You need to get rid of that sort of person. This Christian faith, this Christian sect is really, really dangerous. So Paul knows the end of his life is near. He's in prison, which is uh, nothing like our prisons, by the way. And he writes out of that situation to young Timothy and he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to finish well, but I want you not only to finish well because finishing well is one thing, but doing some specific things in your ministry is quite another. I want you, Timothy, to preach the word of God. It's an amazing charge. Now, I have no idea what young Timothy's reaction was like. People said he was young. Well, he's probably around his mid-30s, but in that culture that was considered to be quite young. And some people said, you know, he's got a very timid disposition and he's got this kind of temperament that gets bowled over. He's crook all the time because he's got to use a little wine for his stomach to clean up all his stomach bugs. He's just a bit of a mess. Probably not a real good candidate for ministry. And Paul writes to him and he says, hey, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. It's an amazing charge. I have no idea what his reaction was. See, it's one thing to have a good mate. 
even an older good mate say to you and listen to you and tell you there are lots of things to watch out for in your work. But few of us in this room, I would venture to say, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I've got this wrong, and correct me afterwards if you like, but I, 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 I reckon very few of us are really as bold as Paul who would go to somebody and say, you need to do this, yeah? I charge you in the presence of God. Here's something that we can take away today. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. In the presence of God. Sure, here we are, Sunday morning, great worship time, good to be together, catch up with people, friends, introduce new ones, welcome those who are visiting us and all of that. But we're all in the presence of God. But you will be when you walk out, won't you? Who's going to be in the presence of God when they walk out of the building? Of course you are. Who's going to be the presence of God when you encounter your first argument of the week? Oh, I won't, won't point in any particular directions. It's going to happen, isn't it? Is God going to be there? Yes, he is. And I can picture young Timothy, if you like, having a moment when he gets this letter from Paul and say, man, you know, what, what's going on here? That's pretty tough sort of stuff. In the presence of God. Paul reminds us too that Jesus is a judge of the living and the dead and that Jesus will appear. And when he appears, the glorious kingdom of God will be seen. How great is that? Oh, the reign and rule of God. You know, that's the kingdom, isn't it? See, people are waiting for the kingdom to come, but the kingdom's already here. The kingdom is everywhere. The reign and rule of God is everywhere, but there's going to come a day when that manifest kingdom of God will be displayed in all its glory. And you'll be part of that, true? We'll see that at the end of our time. But how, how good is that? And Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus, and he's going to come as the judge and his kingdom is going to uh, uh, appear. If you're writing down anything, if you're taking notes and you don't have to, that's up to you. But if you're doing it, you might want to say, I am constantly in the presence of God. Even when there's exclusion zones in your life, like Friday night at our place is a wonderful night, especially if the crows are playing or trying to play, whatever they do. I'm not sure what they do. But I've got one armchair and my wife Heather's got another armchair. And she's very, we've been married a long time, so she knows me really well. And she says to me, stop yelling at the TV. And I say, why? And she says, because the umpires can't hear you. And I say, well, they should be able to. You've got an exclusion zone. One of my friends talks about an exemption zone around the traffic lights. You know, we've got these exclusion zones in our life where it's just us and where's God? But you know, I've been thinking about that. When I yell at the TV and say to the umpire things that I won't repeat here, you know, I'm actually in the presence of God. He knows all about that stuff. And he's not condemning me, by the way. He's not telling me off. He's not biffing my head around. He's just, I'm just in the presence of God, whether I'm watching football, doing the dishes, a bit of gardening, walking. I don't have to work anymore. That's good. Just wait till you get to retirement. We're in the presence. 
And we need to hear their life situation, the context of that, yes? We're in God's presence 24-7, full stop. And with that background, where Paul actually lifts it up a notch and he says to Timothy, above all those things, you are in the presence of Christ Jesus and God and Jesus is coming as judge. Now, if you kind of know that going on in your mind, folks, that lifts your missional intent. It lifts a whole lot of things, actually. And out of that, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be sober in all things, endure suffering or hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay, if you want to follow it, just for a moment or two. The first thing that Paul says to Timothy is this astounding thing, preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. There are so many things that Paul could have said to Timothy about ministry. You know, like, you need to build a good team around you, Timothy. You need to take a course in pastoral counselling, get hold of a few leadership seminars, learn how to do weddings, learn how to take funerals, be good at baptisms, don't drown people, just baptise them, improve your, your, your skill at chairing meetings. I nearly did drown somebody one day. They come up very stunned, I can tell you. Anyway, I said we believed in resurrections. There are many, 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 many good things that pastors need to learn how to do. Agree? I'm just looking at Robin and he's nodding. He knows. He knows all this stuff. And we all do. And they're all good things. They're all excellent things. But Paul says to Timothy, you preach the word, mate. You preach the word of God. That's what he used to do. And that word there by the means, it's a pretty strong word actually. It means to herald or proclaim. And actually it's a very vigorous concept. It's, he's actually not only to preach, but he's to preach and to teach in such a way that people get convicted and they kind of get the sense of what's being said and, and they'll do something with their life. And he's got to preach in such a way that the heretics in the church, and you've heard about that in previous message, who are pushing against the truth of God's word, are shut up. Preaching is so important and it's such an interesting issue because we live in a world where you, you are very anachronistic, you're a very strange bunch of people who roll up week by week and hear somebody, a, a lady or a man, talking to you out of God's word. The rest of the world thinks, what are they on about? Right? But we know that it's essential to our discipleship. We know that it's essential to our growth as, as followers of Jesus. We know that we need to hear the word of God preached, as well as our own times in God's word, reading it and so forth and so on, and our own uh, desire to develop good spiritual habits, good spiritual disciplines. We need to hear the word of God. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard it, you still need to hear it, yeah? And I've pondered that a lot of times, and I think... I've preached a lot of sermons. Unfortunately, people have had to listen to a lot of them too. And I think over a lifetime, how many sermons have I heard? And you know what? I think about how many times do I roll up for breakfast every day? Once only, really. But you know what I'm saying? You go for food, yes? We need it. And Paul says to Timothy, you preach that word in the church there at Ephesus. Paul himself also supplies the answer. People need to hear the word of God preached because if they don't, they give them themselves up to false teaching. He, he says that in verse 3, doesn't he? He says, For the time will come, the time will come 
when men, and of course women are in there, it's the 21st century, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, uh, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They're going to turn away from the truth, they're going to follow miss. How absolutely modern that is. It fits exactly. In fact, in our day and age, it's so easy to do. I don't do Facebook for, I just don't do it, but lots of people do. Everybody has opinions about things. You can do anything on the internet. You can find whatever you want to. People accrue to themselves. Oh, I love that teacher. Or I like this one. When I was a, a student in college, I did a major thing on what was then called the electronic church. Have ever, anybody heard of the electronic church? Well, it was a kind of term that was used back a long time ago to describe these kind of tele-evangelists who had huge ministries. And, and what I found as I did that major work was that they presented a message that had no really hard edge and had very little kingdom edge, but it was all about how you could be well, feel well, make a lot of money, and by the way, give your money to me. So the gospel kind of got pushed to the margins. There was a bit of it, but wasn't much in there. Now, people will accrue stuff to themselves like that. It happens all the time. It can happen to me. I go, man, I like that preacher, or I like that preacher. You know, we're warned against that, actually. You know, we're warned not to have party spirit. We're warned so that we hear what God is saying through the faithful woman, the faithful man who preaches God's word. And I think that's a, that's a church builder, by the way. That's a church builder for us. So it's a very modern phrase that Paul's talking about. So we can get a whole posse of, che uh, of teachers and we gather them around, just tickle our ears. I love to watch our old cats sort of get in their ear and scratch, you know. They've just got a kind of itch rather than saying, no, 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 it's a bigger issue than that. And, and so Timothy is told to preach the word of God and then this interesting thing he says, you're to preach in season or out of season. And that's, that's, he's to preach whether it's convenient or not, right? There are three words for time in Greek. We have chronos. Everybody's got a chronometer on their wrist probably today. Have you got one? You measure your time. And some of you will be measuring and say, finish soon. <laughs> so that's one, that's one thing. You've got the word eon, from which we get the ages or eternity. So that's a kind of big spread, like you look out way out past. And then you have the word kairos, which is probably best translated as simply being the opportune moment. This is opportune time. You, it's a moment of opportunity. I want to say something to you folks. You're in Kronos right now, but you're also in Kairos. This moment of opportunity to be together, to worship together, to hear the word of God together will never, ever be repeated. It's a moment you can grab now or you can leave it. Now, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you preach Kairos and a Kairos. In other words, he just puts that little letter A in front, if you like, of the word Kairos. And so we, as we would say something's moral, we also say it's amoral. You with me? You follow? Everybody following that? Put up your hands if you follow what I said. Cool, that's good. Whew, I'm over that one. So Kairos time is opportune time. So there are some times when everything is good 
and you can hear the word of God preached and people get it and there are times it's difficult. But there's times you don't want to do it either. And in those moments, Paul is saying to Timothy, preach the word of God. Doesn't matter whether you're having a bad day, a bad week, or whether the devil's at you, just preach the word of God. Now there's stuff in here for all of us, not just the preachers in this room. There's stuff for all of us, right? And Paul is not He's not finished with Timothy's preaching lesson. He says you're to reprove, you're to rebuke, you're to encourage or exhort, and you're to instruct, and you're to have a lot of patience as you do all of those things with the people of God. Now, that's the first thing that that Paul says. By the way, Aussies love being reproved and rebuked, don't they? I'm slightly deaf. Oh, we just love it. Yeah? Of course we don't. And who's bold enough to say, hey, you're wrong? You know, and sometimes, you know, preachers can wrap themselves up a bit and be pretty whatever. Whatever I meant by that, I don't know, but that doesn't matter. We can be like that, but then you go and sit, sit at somebody's feet who says, well, actually, you need to look at this and this and that. You think, man, I know very little. Have you ever had that experience? And that's a really good thing for us because we need to be reproved and rebuked. But we need lots of encouragement, yep. And as I heard a preacher say once, we need 10, he was an American preacher, so you'll get it, he says, you need 10 attaboys for every you jerk. (laughs) And that's true, we do. We need to be reproved, we need to be rebuked, we need to be encouraged. And I'll tell you what, we need people around us who have got a lot of patience with us. The first thing, preach the word. The second thing is Timothy was told to be sober. It means what it says, folks. He was not to get himself involved in alcoholic interference. Leaders are told in Proverbs that if they get into the alcohol thing and that takes over their lives, then their judgment as a leader will be clouded. Now, if you look at that actual text there, that's what he actually says. Don't be sober. But then he says, in all things. So I'm not here to push a barrel about drink or no drink. You just have to do that sensibly and wisely, yeah? If if some people drink, some people don't. But it's being sober. You can't be of good judgment if your mind is clouded by anything, not just drink, right? And so so I hope I've done that all right. You happy with that? Because it's a bit of a titchy issue for some people. And we want to be careful how we we talk about that. And Timothy's told he's got to endure suffering. Well, suffering and ministry are companions. There's suffering in life. There will be healing along the way, of course. It will happen. And Timothy is told to endure. What's that mean? He's got to live with it. He's got to endure it. Sometimes things don't always go well in life, folks, do they? Sometimes it seems to be one thing after the other. And you wonder, when's this going to end? And then suddenly it becomes clear and you know God's in charge. Fourthly, he's told to do the work of an evangelist. Was Timothy a naturally gifted evangelist? I doubt that he was. He was probably like the the majority of us. Church growth experts will say about 3% of 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 a congregation will have the gift of evangelism. So if you've got 100 people in the room, three of us will be red hot evangelists. They won't shut up about Jesus. I'll just be gabbing Jesus everywhere they go. True? And the rest of us are applauding. 
And that's okay because we don't have that gift. But Paul actually says to Timothy, you've got to do the work of an evangelist, which means he has to take responsibility for it. So any preacher, whether they have that particular gift or not, has to, to make sure it happens. And that's the same for us all, isn't it? Yeah, we've got to find ways to share that life-changing message of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And lastly, Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your ministry or your service. And I get that Paul wanted Timothy to, to keep going and not rest from his calling, to live it out, to fill it out. By the way, is that in your life? Is it one of your life goals to live out everything that God has for you until he calls you to be with him? The word actually is uh, the word from which we get deacon. It's a, it's a servant. Paul wants Timothy to serve until he has finished his ministry. It's a very encouraging word. Now, the next few verses are about Paul and Paul's testimony about himself. And they're wonderful. We get something of an old man's heart for ministry. God has used him and God gives him hope for the future. Paul knows that he's about to die. Um, tradition has it that he was executed. But he's ready. He's content. And his description of his life and work is something that Timothy would know about. I, I, I I, I doubt that many of us would talk about our lives being poured out like a drink offering. There's a whole thing around that that goes back into Old Testament. But if I said to you, do you know stuff about being surrendered to Jesus, what would you say? And if uh, Joel took us and we sang, I surrender all, we'd say, oh yeah, I get that. So that's what he's saying. Paul said he's been totally surrendered to Jesus all his life. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. I surrender to Jesus. I, I bow down to him. I worship him. I give him my life. I, all that I am, I give to him as best as I'm able to do that in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit and in the grace of God. And then Paul says, Timothy, I'm about to be loosed. He talks about his departure. He's referring to his death. And uh, Timothy would have known about the persecutions going on in Rome. And I think as he read that letter, there'd be something of a sadness in him. And when Paul writes later in the passage and says, come on, see me as quick as you can, that's a kind of a plea, I think, this old man to the younger pastor, father-son kind of relationship. And uh, Paul says, I'm about to go. And sometimes people do know they're about to go. And they pass on things as they go. And Paul says three staggering things about his ministry. What are they, folks? They're in the text. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. If at the end of your life people are able to say about you and you're following Jesus, you know, such and such fought, the good fight, they kept the faith, they finished the race, you'll have done really well, and so will have I. They're wonderful descriptions, and I love them. They've drawn out, uh, Paul's drawn out an analogy, a reference back to the then-known Greek games, the uh, ancient Olympic games, most likely, where they ran and they fought, and uh, even that keeping the faith might have had something to do, according to Barclay, of, 
of uh, the athletes signing up before the game saying, we're going to abide by the rules. So Paul is saying, I've kept the faith, I've kept the rules, or it might have even come out of the business world where they've said, I've kept the conditions of the contract. Paul is on about that. He said, I've kept it. You know, sometimes, folks, that's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes if you're in a room of people and you're the only Christian there and somebody says something that is so counter to what you believe, can you shut up or can you speak up? Hmm? It's not easy, is it? And sometimes it might even cost you something in the workplace. Because people don't always like what we say. So Paul has kept the faith and that's really significant. And so then what? He says, you know what? When I depart, there is a future for me. There's a crown. There's a reward. There's an award. Just turn to somebody and say, there's a future for you. Now, all I can hear is those heaters going full bore. Can we do that again? Turn to somebody and say, there is a future for you. Do you really believe that? So, folks, what is the future that you're going to get? Can you tell me? Yeah, and uh, you're going to wear something. What is it? And what's the crown? A crown of what? I can't hear you. Righteousness. Here is Paul saying, Timothy, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. And now the Lord has actually laid up, what means he's, he's put it aside for me, an award, it's a crown of righteousness. Now in the ancient Greek games, when you run the race, you didn't win a million dollars. What they did was they made a, a green garland they wrapped around your head and that was your, your victory garland. Can you see what Paul's saying here? That's great for the Greek games, but the crown of righteousness that I wear is never going to fade away. It's going to be on me for eternity. How good is that? Is life tough for you right now? Yeah, some of you say, yes, it is. Is life good for you? Some of you say, yes, it is. Is it in between? It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad or tough or you're working through things or whether you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus and you're saying, I'm not really sure about that. Doesn't matter where you're at, if you follow Jesus, there is a reward. And we don't talk about rewards very often in church life. We, it's interesting, it's not much part of our uh, theology, but Paul says it's for everyone who loves the appearing of Jesus. So here's some things I want to finish up with really quickly. I get from this passage there is a real need for us to find a mentor to find somebody, a companion in ministry, a companion in life who will talk to us about the big things of God, yes? And if you haven't got one, I encourage you to find somebody who's going to do that for you. I think this is a great church. What encourages me as an older person, an older follower of Jesus, only in chronological years, is just to say how good it is to see so many young people here. How good it is to see families and developing people, developing life and leadership. And I, I would love for the older guys in this place to be able to sow into the lives of young people. And 
I want to put a disclaimer out on that, a very important one, really one I want you to hear. I'm not saying that's not happening because it is and it really gets me going every time I see that happening, right? But wisdom itself is not just the prerogative of old people. Every one of you has wisdom. Did you know that? Sometimes we think, oh, I, I'm not, I'm not you, know, you know, whatever. You've got wisdom because you're tapped into God and the more you get following Jesus, the more wisdom you get. But we need people in our lives, older to younger, younger to older sometimes. Younger to older. Moses had Joshua, Deborah had Barak, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus. It's all through the scriptures. Find somebody, my dear friend, who will talk to you about the things of God and ask you the questions that will help you grow in your following of Jesus Christ. Are you with that? Are you happy with that point? The second thing is I want to encourage you to understand that you're living in the presence of God all the time and that's a really good thing for us to know it's a terrifying prospect to think that life would be without Jesus God's judgment will come the passage makes that clear I once heard somebody say there's a slow freight train coming but it's coming or words to that effect and God will bring that day yes but we're in his presence folks and I want us to understand that and be encouraged by that and then Paul says to, to Timothy, preach the gospel, Timothy. Well, beloved church, I've been bugged by this question. Why was Paul so adamant that Timothy preached the word? Because the word has to be preached. And it's, it, as Peter Pollock, I've just been reading a little book that he's written. It's, uh, he was a former fast bowler for South Africa years back. And he, he just says, in his own call to ministry... The command was not to speak about the word or to speak from the word, but to speak the word. Simple but subtle, he says. Why preach the word? Well, I'll drag it down to one thing. When we preach the word, people get changed. We preach a gospel of transformation. We don't preach a gospel of reformation. When we preach the word of God, hardened, hard-bitten sinners, atheists, skeptics, agnostics, unbelievers, people who have staked their lives to addictions... And ordinary people who have good lives but haven't yet found Jesus, when the word is heard, when they hear the gospel, their lives are transformed. And you know, I believe that's what this church is about. And I want to encourage the church to do that. Because that is a transforming thing. When we preach the word, we will see God transform the world as we know it. And the very last thing, and I'd like you to stand as we come to this. You know, there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back. And every eye in this room will see him. Whether you love Jesus or not, you'll see him. There's going to come a day when every eye will see him right across the world as he comes. There's going to come a day when every eye that's ever been will see Jesus coming. And we can be ready for that great day and we can look for it. And you know, one of the things I just want to say as we close off, This is a message, I guess, about an older pastor and a younger pastor. But right at the end, Paul says, I'm going to get a crown. And I'm going to wear it as a crown of righteousness. And I'm going to wear it for eternity. 
And then he says, and this is also to all who have loved and long for his appearing. That's all of us, isn't it? We go out from this place knowing that this message, this older pastor, this younger guy, is actually for all of us. And one day, one day, one day you're going to see him. One day all those struggles you've had are just going to be nothing. One day all the pain will be over. One day all the horrible things we see in the world because we've messed it as we have will be over. One day the righteous judge and the king of the universe will come and and people will fall before him and there will be tears in eyes. One day, people. And be encouraged because Jesus is coming. He'll appear. He'll be here. And you might be saying, I'm not ready for that. But you are ready. Because Jesus died for you and he gave his life for you and he poured out his blood for you. And when he died on that cross, all the shame of your sin and the pain of your life and the messes we make of things, it'll all be gone. It'll be gone. And as you look into the eyes of Jesus, you'll see the shadow of the Father and then the shadow will become the reality. And as the Holy Spirit pulls you into all of that, you'll say, that's why it was worth following. That's why it was worth believing. That's why I know there's a crown for me. Oh, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Father, send your Son. But oh, before he comes, Lord, stir us up to be faithful women and men and boys and girls who just love you and use every opportunity that you give us in your goodness to say, Jesus died for me and for you. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill our eyes with hope and our hearts with a freshness and a newness and a real desire just to push into all that you have. Oh, Lord, as I look out on your people, would you bless them? Would you encourage them? Lift up the hearts that are struggling, that are feeling the tensions of life. Help us to walk out of this place knowing that one day your son will come and our eyes will see him. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.